Opposites attract. Ah, uh, yeah, I think that that's the general uh, wisdom, right? Well, when it comes to magnets, anyway. What about what about uh, say, sort of sentient beings? <laughs> sort of, they're super sentient. Uh, I think that they uh, they definitely do. I think that opposites opposites attract all over nature. So give me a, give me a good example of of opposites that have attracted in your experience. Um, well, so is electricity and water, are they opposite? I guess maybe not. Um, maybe in some sort of like elemental sense. Okay, fine. Like, you know, there might be like a water wizard and an electricity wizard and they would fight or something. (laughs) Got it. That would make them opposites. Right. Uh, But then maybe they also smooch. Right. Because, you know, everyone needs to smooch somebody. And opposites attract. Yeah. I think we've proven it. Okay. <laughs> I, it's been a minute since I took geometry or any sort of mathematics class, but yeah, if that wasn't a proof, I don't know what is. Q-E-D. And by that, I mean I literally don't know what a proof is anymore. Just say Q-E-D at the end of anything and it becomes a proof, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Or how about just like bladow? <laughs> yeah. What, that's, what, that's what Q-E-D is Latin for. It's bladow. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I yeah. see. Quod est... Uh, demonstratum, I think, or something like that, which roughly translates to blow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, why do you ask? Why do you ask about opposites, Patrick? Well, I, I just got to thinking about it when I saw this uh, this small little firewolf show up on the stoop of a snow golem. Yep, uh, that would be the episode of Adventure Time we're going to talk about today, yeah? That would be the one. Episode 17 from Season 3. It's called Thank You. Yeah, this was a sweet little episode. Uh, this was uh, what I was almost going to jump into the beginning of our podcast here today by just saying the phrase "steamed hams" to you, uh, <laughs> because this kind of this episode kind of reminded me of that famous uh, Simpsons episode. Uh, I think twenty-seven short films about Springfield, or I might be getting the number wrong, but that was roughly the title. Um, and this was the the feel of this episode was sort of like. A uh, this was one of those like day in the life of someone who is only tangentially related to the life of Finn and Jake, basically. Uh, right. And so we fo- so we got to follow them. Uh, we got to follow this co- totally unique storyline that um, Finn and Jake were only um, ancillary parts of, and uh, it was a very sweet and very cool episode. Uh, I know you were excited to talk about it, uh, so I was I was happy to happy to get there. Was this the one you were excited, or was it the next one? Actually, yeah, I, I like both of these episodes, but this is the one that I really think is it's one of those episodes where you just kind of go, "Wow, look at what this show can do." Yeah, I agree. Um, to give uh, the podcast listeners who haven't seen the episode uh, yet. Uh, they, basically, what we do this entire episode is we follow in the day of a snow golem that we meet for the first time this episode. We haven't met this character before. Um, the snow golem lives somewhere in the snowy mountains 
uh, ostensibly near maybe Ice King's lair, but uh, that's sort of not part of the, that's not really the point of anything. It's just, it's a snowy area. And a snow golem wakes up, lives, sort of uh, sort of like a celebrities, they're just like us kind of uh, day. Snow golems are just like us too. They wake up, they uh, take a shower, they brush their teeth, they eat the breakfast, and they go shopping. Um, all of those things, of course, they do involve some hilarious, pretty uh, hilarious sight gag jokes because the snow golem uh, showers with suds, but he has no hair. Uh, he he wakes up with an alarm clock, which is like a bird that just sounds like an alarm clock, and then yes. and then he has a bowl of breakfast cereal is the wrong way to describe it, but he's got a box called flakes. And he pours it into a bowl, but a pear falls out instead of any kind of flake resembling product. <laughs> and then he's got a milk jug and he pours that over the, the pear. But instead of milk pouring out, it's just a bunch of acorns. <laughs> and he slurps that up like a bowl of cereal. Then he checks his cupboards. The cupboards are bare. He doesn't have any pears left, so he's got to go shopping. So he makes himself a little shopping list, which is just a little peach, a piece of like bark with, with uh, a picture of a pear and a picture of acorns scratched on it. And he goes off on his merry, uh, sort of, I would call it his merry way. He's sort of like a... Yeah, he's kind of singing and bopping along. Yeah, he's kind of like, he's got like a goofy, happy outlook on life. He doesn't speak any sort of language that we recognize as language, but he's he's got some sort of way that he kind of, he just like communicates through sounds and emotive uh, noises. And, and he gets to the pear tree that he usually, apparently that he shops at which is just a tree. But on his way, we pass by a little vignette of a scene, and it is our boys Finn and Jake fighting the Ice King. <laughs> and they are fighting him over what seems to be uh, some sandwiches that he stole from them. And they're, the, the guys are trying to take him down, but Ice King has encased himself in about, oh, I don't know, four feet of, of ice armor. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be, uh, it, it seems to be protecting him pretty well, but in terms of fighting back, he doesn't seem to have that very good control over it. Yeah, it's more of a, it, it's sort of a very tiny siege kind of a battle where the guy, the Finn and Jake have to basically uh, get through the four foot thick wall that is uh, the Ice King's armor, but until but but the Ice King can't go anywhere either. So the Ice King's kind of trapped. So as long as Finn and Jake are willing to wait him out, um, it doesn't seem like the best of defenses for the Ice King. But he doesn't seem to be cared. He's he's gloating over the fact that they can't penetrate his armor. And really, they just it's it's just a little glimpse of that scene. Our uh, Snow Golem friend notices them and kind of skirts around him. He doesn't want them to notice him either. It's. It, it almost seems just like sort of a little reminder that you are, in fact, watching Adventure Time. Yep, that's all it is. Uh, but we are focused on our friend, the Snow Golem, who is whistling and humming his way to the pear tree. When he gets there, he, he finds that uh, he's, looking, he's, he's looking at the different pears, uh, trying to see if uh, find a good one. He finds one that he thinks he likes, but when he plucks it from the tree, he notices that there is a scorch mark on it. And then you kind of notice, and if you hadn't noticed prior to this in the scene, you notice now that, like, the entire background that's, like, the forest behind him is, like, on fire and full of smoke. And so he doesn't seem to really notice, but now he does, now that his pear is kind of scorched. And then the fire spreads. It gets closer, and he turns around, and he's actually surrounded by a pack of 
wild fire wolves or fire dogs. And these are literal dogs that look to be, I would, you know, I'd kind of call them like a hellhound kind of looking thing, but like a wolf that is um, emitting fire is, is all I can say is like, that's what they are. Yeah. They've got a little kind of glow to them. And yeah. then every once in a while, they just sort of poof, pop into flames for a minute. Yeah. They just sort of, yeah, they, they just emit a ball of flame every once in a while. And they are all circling this snow golem looking to perhaps uh, either get a meal or at least just uh, practice their hunting skills. And the, the snow golem emits uh, a noise that he emits a few, ep- a few other times <laughs> a few other times during this episode, which is generally his, his noise of alarm and pain. And it kind of goes like, ooh. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and he... He commences, he, he doesn't want to fight him. He doesn't seem to be, the golem doesn't seem to be any kind of fighting creature, but the wolves attack and he defends and he himself. Also, he almost has a reasonable plan to, uh, to, to get them to run away. It just yeah. doesn't quite work out. Yeah, that's right. Um, what does he throw a pair? I can't remember now. <laughs> yeah, so he, he dangles the pair in front of the front wolf as if, you know, to kind of get its attention. And then he goes to throw it, but he just throws it straight into the wolf's face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> At which point the pack attacks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he fails his he fails his check to uh, throw the pair and smacks him in the face. The, the wolves attack, and then there is a battle, sort of a steamy, smoky battle, because when fire hits this snow golem, he starts emitting a lot of vapor. But, right. he's, but he's a big, strong guy, and he does manage to fight off the wolves. And, but at the end of it, he's, he's, he's really tired. His cart, has been, his cart that he was carrying his pears in has been toppled over, and the wheel is missing. But he kind of collects himself and uh, puts his little cart back together. But before he can head home... Yeah, it uh, seems like everybody's going to kind of come away from this little confrontation okay, but there is a complication. Yeah, there's a little fire pup that is left behind or has stayed behind and is there kind of growling at him. And um, the... The golem is still not interested in in fighting any more of these animals, and so he puts him to the side. I think he like lifts him up on a stick and puts him in a tree um, right. to kind of just get him out of the way. And the pup seems like half interested in fighting, but also just like half interested in finding more out for finding more about what this uh, giant snow creature happens to be all about. And so the pup's just kind of doing a lot of like standard puppy noises and like playful sounds, but, but the snow golem leaves him behind. He's like, eh, I'm going home. So yeah, he heads despite home. the fact that it's a really, really cute puppy. I think the fact that it catches on fire is probably a uh, factor that counsels against bringing the fire wolf home. Indeed. So, uh, but, but it is a very, you can already see it is a very cute pup. It's a very cute scene. Um, and the snow golem is very gentle with it. And, but he heads home. And he gets home and is uh, relaxing, ready to rest after a pretty, pretty stressful trip to the store, I would say. Um, he is ready to relax, but then his cart bursts into flames. <laughs> and he emits another one of those, like, worried whoops. And there is that fire pup. The fire pup has sort of somehow stowed away in the cart and has made it back home with the, with the fire golem. And the fire golem's home kind of 
briefly bursts into flame, but he's able to quickly put out the little fires. And then he is uh, now he's now he's faced with a dilemma because now he's got this fire pup at home. His first instinct is to put it outside and just kind of say like, uh, no, and get out of here. But the fire pup is persistent. He keeps uh, coming back. And and after a while, I think the fire, the snow golem gets a little guilty or feels a little bit of attachment to this thing that he's like leaving outside and is kind of whimpering out there. Yeah, it makes a real pathetic sort of sad puppy noise and face that yeah. uh, would be hard for anyone to, uh, really hard for anybody to ignore, even a snow golem. I agree. And so I think this episode, the rest of this episode is, if you could tell, is it kind of goes through a, um, or not the rest, but the big main arc of this episode is, is finding out or following the snow golem through his sort of emotional journey of becoming attached to this wolf, this firewolf pup. And the fire and and vice versa, the the firewolf sort of learning how to coexist with the with the snow golem. And at first, they are definitely apprehensive about each other. But uh, the snow golem, after a few trials and tribulations, figures out a system that allows this creature of fire to live inside his house of snow. And they uh, they end up spending at least one night, kind of just uh, cozied up near each other um Mm -hmm. and and it kind of goes okay but it is a very cute montage of things i don't know there's there's probably too many details to really describe because this whole episode is is very much rooted in expressive emotive visuals um there's not a lot of there's no dialogue dialogue right it's just emotive sounds coming from both of these creatures and expressions of how does one creature kind of communicate with another when they are so clearly uh, at the opposite ends of the creature spectrum? And it is a very touching set of scenes. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the the way that you can... I mean, the, the snow golem's emotions and feelings are so clear, despite the fact that it doesn't use language, or at yeah. least verbal language, to show us um, is, is really something. And you can see it's... I don't know. It's like its heart melts, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I was going to say, I think that one of the strengths of the animation is that they chose to put so few details into the snow golem. Like it's literally just like a smiley face on like a, on a pile of snow is, is basically the drawing style for this creature. And in a way that allows so much flexibility for that character. Like it, you would think that like, Oh, you've only got eyes and a mouth. Like how are you going to express a ton of emotions? But I think what they do is they use the um, fluid nature of the snow that it's made out of for one, but also just because it's, because it's so simplistic, they can kind of bend the rules a lot with it. And in terms right. of like what you would expect facial features to be able to do and things like that. Um, and it is uh it's a very effective uh character it's really you really understand where it's coming from and you understand i think the core of it almost intuitively so uh, we end up with a uh a happy little home scene but at night the snow golem they the snow golem hears the cries of the wolf pack and you can see the snow golem sort of pondering this and 
it makes up a decision. He makes a decision at that point. Or they make a decision. I shouldn't say he. It's a snow golem. I have no idea what gender it is. Um, he, he the the snow golem that is. They they see here a a wolf pack. They make a decision, and in the morning, it appears that they act on that decision, which is to take the firewolf back home. And it's a treacherous journey for this wolf, for this uh, snow golem, that is. As you might expect, taking a fire wolf home to its fire land. Right. Uh, we should note that on the way, the, the snow golem passes by Finn and Jake another time, still in the same spot, still in the same clearing, still hacking away at the Ice King's armor. Um, and the Ice King is a little more worried because they've made a little bit of progress. Um, but it is still just an ancillary little scene, again, that we pass, pa- pass by, a little extra comedy for the episode. Not for nothing, I think that they've acquired axes by this point. Right, they've, just, they've found the correct tool to get through the ice. But the, fire, the snow golem, that is, has to go to the land of fire to bring the wolf back home. And that is, uh, it nearly kills them. Um, they, they have to climb sort of a mountain to reach the lair of the fire wolves. And by the time they get there, they're basically just like a, a very shrunken version of themselves. They've lost almost all of their snow mass, but just kind of a head on a pair of legs at this point and some arms coming out of the head. Right. It is just that. And, and, but there is no sense in its face or in its features that it is, upset at this it is it it knows it is doing a good thing for a creature it cares about and there's no no regret on there on that right Uh, and that is that i mean that's that selflessness is incredibly poignant and incredibly sweet to see yeah i mean to watch this this golem i mean essentially sacrifice itself you know eventually it does make it out of the fire kingdom but there's no way that that golem knew walking in there that it was going to be able to walk out. Um, in fact, for a second, right when it's sort of in this fire realm, the pack finds the snow golem and looks about ready to attack until the pup sort of intervenes. And at that point, the snow golem is able to walk safely out of the fire kingdom, although not in any kind of good shape. And it's not clear how much time it will take to pack the snow back on because still at this point it's just a head on a pair of legs and a couple of arms sticking out of the head yeah it's a um the snow golem definitely takes on the characteristics of a parent uh to this fire pup yeah the devotion and selflessness they show is one that is basically saying i'm willing to die to help you live yeah i hadn't made that connection but that's definitely true yeah um and it is very sweet. It's it's incredibly powerful. And we keep talking about it, but it, it needs to be kept keep being reset that it's all being this is all being communicated without um, without any language. It's being communicated th- purely through actions and and gestures, and that is uh, super cool. So we meet back um, in the in the snow realm, and we're back to the area where Finn and Jake have now defeated the Fire King. I'm excuse me, the Ice King. And they're sitting on top of him, pinning him down, and eating their sandwiches. 
And uh, which the, was the uh, entire premise for their fight in the first place was right. that uh, Ice King had taken their sandwiches. Right, and the Ice King is saying things like, "Oh <laughs> man, those uh, those sandwiches seem pretty cool. It'd be great if you gave me a bite." Boy, and, I bet a bite of one of those would be really nice. Yeah, um, and they are just uh, they are ignoring him, but the snow golem is sort of nearby and is sitting in the snow maybe recovering maybe he's doing something to build back his snow mass but then the bu- the bushes rustle and firewolves emerge again and they're snarling they're snarling and the 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 a golem is fearful he he thinks it's the end he sort of covers his face and they but then the the snow pup or the fire pup uh emerges and it's basically the fire pup wanted to come back and say hello, say thank you. And the fire pup jumps into the arms of this severely diminished snow golem, and by doing so, diminishes it even further into basically a puddle with a smiling face and arms. And But again, the puddle is purely happy to see its little friend again. Right. And, and Finn and Jake can see this. They can see it from where they are, and... I think uh, Finn says something like, hey, should uh, we go help that puddle? And, and, and Jake says, no, that's a snow golem. And they're kind of, commu- they're kind of musing that, uh, you know, snow golems and firewolves are usually enemies. And they said, yeah, but looks like they can get along sometimes too. And then they sit in silence for another beat. And then <laughs> Finn looks well, down so at the ice king. Yeah. What, what happens is... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I think Jake says, "Yeah, they're they're enemies, but it looks like they're learning to get along." And then Ice King says, <laughs> "I love this line." But Ice King says, "Boy, seems like we could really learn a lot from those sandwiches." <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, despite his despite his selfish focus, Finn takes a beat, leans down, and kisses Ice King on the cheek. Gives him a little peck. Little Peck. And the Ice King just says, thank you. And that's the end of the episode. And that's the end of the episode. And man, what a, you know, what what a nice, what an artistic, that was art. I mean, that's all that was. That was art. Yes, absolutely. And that was fantastic. So this episode, from what I've read, minus the Finn and Jake scenes, was uh, screened at Sundance as a short film, and it was nominated for like the top short film. It didn't win, but the fact that you can take this 10-minute animated episode of a television show and actually enter it as a short film is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is a uh, that, I, that's awesome to learn. That's super cool because this is a very if com- it's a very complete story, and it's a very uh, um, it's funny, it's heartwarming, it's it. It touches a lot of emotions. It's really cool. I I highly recommend just taking a look at it. I, that's cool to know that it's it's out there as a short film too. Um, the the additions of the Finn and Jake sort of cutscenes or whatever you want to call them um, are are a nice addition if you like Finn and Jake. But it's uh, it's self sufficient on its own. I oh yeah, there are some great jokes in the Finn and Jake part, but they are completely ancillary to this actual episode. Yeah. Um, well, that's cool. It, I, I'm glad it got the recognition it deserved. So that is, that's awesome. Kudos to the writers and the animators. Yeah, it's a it's a cool thing when 
a show can remove its main characters and still have a large emotional impact. Yeah, totally. And I, um, that's been a theme for this whole season uh, that I think we've talked about is they've really explored what they can do with this world they've created now. Right. Um, and this style of, of storytelling, they've, they've, they've really poked at it and twisted it and figured out different cool ways they can tell a story. So uh, this is added to the list, but it's certainly at the top of the list in terms of uh, some of the best episodes of the, uh, of the entire season and of the show. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, it's another example of them, of the showmakers, uh, flexing their creative muscles in season three. And uh, I guess we can go ahead and make the transition because I think the next episode we're going to talk about is pretty doggone creative as well. It's called The New Frontier. Yeah. Um, so this one is, I would say, the theme of this episode is world building. This is a world building episode um, that is sort of built around a a construct of a storyline, but really I think the point of this episode was to build the world a little bit more. We learn a lot. Yeah, we really do. It is the way that the show opens is on a cut or not a cutscene, a a dream sequence. And it is a close up of Jake and he is sort of holding his breath and he is floating in an infinite black void. And it is a there's specks of white around it looks like space. It is space. Um, and then we see something that we have not seen, I don't think, the entire show. No, he I looks don't think so. He looks down and it is very clearly Earth from as viewed from space. The classic blue marble in space, like kind of floating away from him. Mm-hmm. And and he looks around and also floating nearby him is a a disabled spaceship and a banana man. I mean, that's all, that's all you can, I mean, it's still adventure time, so it's super weird. Um, it's a man, it's a banana man that that, like you're familiar with like the peanut butter and jelly time guy from, (laughs) from like old, from early internet days. Uh, it's kind of that like, but he's wearing like a glass dome over him that looks kind of like a space helmet. Yeah. He's got a cute little helmet on. Right. Like a fishbowl that he's wearing basically, but it's a banana man floating out there with him. Um, there's some like other debris floating nearby and Jake's holding his breath and holding his breath and holding his breath. And then he lets his breath go and it's quite dramatic. But then we have a very quick shot of a, I don't know, laser light show version of an owl, I guess. Um, it's later described yeah, as the cause. That's an interesting it's like, way to describe it. It's like later, it's like later described as the cosmic owl. So I guess I'll just call it the cosmic owl for now, but it is a, it's it's just a screeching owl face, but it is, it's like yeah, it's like how an owl face would be done in a laser light show. Yeah, um, you know, actually, I I should I'm just gonna take this opportunity to tell you I just uh, got back from Seattle a few weeks ago where I was at PodCon and uh, the night before PodCon started when I first got there maybe a couple nights anyway one of the first nights I was there. Uh, Seattle has what appears to be a permanent laserium at its science center. Are you familiar with laserium? Uh, no, I've never heard that phrase before. A oh laserium. man, it's the best. So it's it's a laser show. It's like uh, you know, it's in a planetarium, or I think it's sure, not quite a okay. planetarium. I think it's just a laserium where in Seattle, but they have it sometimes at the planetarium here. But it's like this incredibly complex laser show. Uh, 
played to you know i think the the sort of paradigmatic uh show is is laser floyd um you see that in freaks and geeks and i think that's a pretty well-known thing from the 80s uh the the one that i went to though was 90s laserium and it was awesome (laughs) uh so we talking 90s was there was it pop 90s or were we talking like Grunge it was songs a good, or... good cross section. Like I know Nirvana okay. played, and I'm pretty sure uh, we heard some like In Vogue or something like that. So it was okay. a, it was a wide range. All good songs though, and uh, the <laughs> the incredible show coupled with a uh, certain substance that's legal in Washington State now uh, made for a very very exciting night. Excellent, uh, Laserium. I'm glad that that's now added to my dictionary of words that I know. Um, if you but, ever yeah. get a chance to go to Lazarium, you get there. Okay. <laughs> so, where were we? Oh, the Cosmic Owl. Yeah, looks right. like a laser, looks like a laser light version of an owl. But it ends with that owl screeching, and then Jake bolts open, bolts up in bed. He was asleep. He was dreaming, but he is totally. He's sort of semi thrilled and semi scared at the same time. I think just from like how intense the dream was. Yeah, he come he comes running downstairs and he tells Finn, "Dude, I just had my croak dream." And the cosmic owl was there and everything. The cosmic owl was there and everything. And they just they talk about it like it's a thing that everyone knows about, or at least that they know about. Yes. Um, and through context clues, you kind of learn that a, you know the croak dream would be the dream that tells you how you're going to die is basically um, how that is this sort of like. Generally, generally known phrase in Land of Ooh, and right. and Finn is at first like quite impressed, but then quickly transitions to scared because, because he is not ready for Jake to be having croak dreams. Yeah, he does. He does not like what this portends. Um, but then. Uh, Jake is, but Jake's sort of like already accepted it. He said like, man, like, but then, but I get to, when I, when I die, when I transcend, I get to become one with the universe. My consciousness will expand and be all around you. I'll be with you all the time. Um, he's very, he's speaking very, very, uh, existentially at this point. And it's really weirding Finn out. Uh, Finn does yeah, not like it one it's, bit. It's really interesting to me. I, I think it's easier to be existential about one's own life than it is about the lives of people that you love. So I agree. You know, Jake is thinking, yeah, I'm going to go be a cosmic consciousness, but all Finn can focus on is the fact that Jake's going to be gone from the existence that he knows and where he'll still be stuck. Yeah, no one likes to be left behind, I think. And right. like talking and thinking like that is not something that Finn is is ready to be talking about with his buddy Jake, his best friend. Um, so it's scaring him. But they kind of talk it out and, and, you know, Jake says things like, you know, just because I had the dream doesn't mean it's happening today. I mean, like there was a banana man there. We don't even know a banana man. So <laughs> like how could if if that's the thing that's going to happen when I die, like. You know, I, there's no way it's happening today. <clears throat> I think he even says, like, I've got a good, like, 100 more years left at least. Easy. Um, but I also, he also says something that I wanted to talk to you about. He says, when I, I think he's when he's talking more existentially, like, when he leaves this consciousness or becomes more, I think he calls it, he, there's the um, the globular plane or something like that. I think it's Glob like. Glob world. 
glob world, which is an allegory or a, something for heaven or like transcending to a, a life after death, basically. Yeah, we have heard uh, characters say, oh, my glob before. Right. Glob is now being it's swapped for God in that sense. Um, as he's talking like that, he says, um, like, it's OK. Like, I'll be I'll be gone, but I'll still be around, even though your earth conscious is still here. And he says the word earth like he doesn't say, ooh, he says earth. That's very and, true. He does. And I don't know if maybe it's like, well, OK, earth just means sort of like terrestrial in this phrasing usage but like he says earth and it made me sort of sit up and take notice um there's another thing that you may have noticed or may not have when he is trying to reassure finn yeah yeah this is a long way off yeah the other thing he says is that uh spaceships haven't been reinvented yet reinvented Uh, yep. So yeah, I noticed all this stuff. I'm I'm watching the show with a much more critical eye. I think I would say now. So don't you worry about old Ben missing stuff at this point. Well, I just never assume that anyone notices the things that I've seen because this is like the fourth or fifth time that I've watched the episode. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, but the he says yeah, the spaceships haven't been reinvented yet. So again, I mean they've already really sort of. Uh, lit this candle and and it's already it's already out there that it is this is earth uh some post post apocalyptic many years in the future kind of earth scenario uh is where we're setting our land of ooh but yeah i mean jake remembers a time or is aware of a time when spaceships existed and that the re-explore re-exploration of space has not occurred yet uh, that they have not been reinvented, which is a funny way of phrasing it because it's yes. like they're they're like they're invented, so you can't reinvent them. He already knows they exist, so it's fr- it's funny to think of it as like being reinvented. It's like when white people show up on some land and be like, "Look what I discovered." Yeah, that would be kind of similar. Um, but he is. Uh, but it is. It's that is part of that's one one example of how this whole episode really is about the exploration of the details of the land of Ooh and the world that they live in yeah sort of some serious knowledge gets dropped yeah under the auspices of of sort of trying to decipher this uh croak dream that jake's have but we quickly um get thrust forward in the plot because there's a knock at the door and finn looks out the upstairs window at who is at the front door and it is a banana man oh no and finn reacts Hilariously, um, his his uh, his go to terrified noise is apparently like a giant raspberry, like raspberry lips, uh, like <laughs> and sort of like he's having like a spit take without having any drunk in any water or anything. Right. And and he freaks out, grabs Jake, hides behind an overturned fridge or something like that in their room. And they're co- he's cowering behind this thing. And Jake's like, what's going on? And Finn says, there's a banana man outside. And Jake then reacts the same way. Uh, he, he does his dry spit take. <laughs> and they, but then Jake immediately kind of again transitions to like, oh, well, then we got to, we got to go meet this guy. Like, this, this is, is this is like a, a sign of destiny for me. I've got to embrace it. This is happening. Um, yeah. And Finn is not on board. By the time they go back to the window, the Banana Man has walked off. 
And then Finn Finn gets a little paranoid and a little crazy because then I think Finn realizes or hopes against hope that perhaps because the Banana Man has walked away or because there's an opportunity, he sees this as an opportunity to uh, thwart fate. That if somehow they can alter the course of what this Banana Man's about to do, then maybe that also alters the course of Jake's life. And so Finn is one. Finn wants to track the Banana Man and stop the Banana Man from whatever it, the from whatever the Banana Man is about to do. I think Finn just assumes that the Banana Man is going to do something important, and if they can stop it, then they will change the future, and that means Jake can stay alive. And it's a sort of it's a very like desperate move. Like Jake is kind of like uh, I mean, Jake's like yeah we can go along and like see where he's going, but. Like, don't it? Destiny is destiny. You can't thwart yeah. destiny. Jake, even at this point, I think transitions from "oh, it's not going to happen for a very long time" to getting like excited. You know, he feel he's he's like the very diff- definition of fatalistic. This is my right. fate, and it's going to happen. And you can't fight fate. I'm just going to go for it. And not only can you not fight it, like I should run towards it. Yes. And Finn is not, again, he hates that idea, but he he does want to see what they can do to maybe, like, thwart the Banana Man. This this Banana Man has become uh, crucial in Finn's mind to this whole plot. So they follow yeah, the so Banana Finn Man. Yeah, so Finn and Jake have very different ideas of what they plan to do when yeah. they find the Banana Man. Yeah, so they follow him, and the Banana Man... Uh, is headed home. He's going back to... He, the Banana Man lives in like a geodesic dome kind of house. And they get there and, and Finn and Jake are sort of scouting things out through the window. And the Banana Man is just at home. Like he's just living his life. Uh, he's doing a sweet little exercise video, some calisthenics. Um, jazzercise kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, kind of a jazzercise situation. Um, and he lives in a home that's full of... of uh, outmoded technology or technology from like kind of the eighties of our world, I think yeah. is like he, he's got like reel to reel tape decks and things like that. Or like, uh, and a pretty old tube, tube TV, um, cathode ray tube TV. Yeah. With, uh, with like bunny ears and, you know, knobs. Yeah, and like littered around outside is an uh, a, like a stretch limo, kind of rotting in the front yard. Um, he kind of lives this weird '80s life. Uh, the geodesic, the geodesic dome, also being kind of a nod to that, I think as well. But anyway, uh, Finn and Jake are watching him, and Finn decides like, I'm gonna take him out. I'm just gonna, or I, I, he, I think he. He says to Jake, like, I'm just going to give him a warning shot to scare him away, which yeah, is like insane. Far away from here. Right. So he's, he's going to just fire an arrow into this guy's window. And in Finn's mind, that's going to make this dude like pick up and move, basically, which uh, is, you know, crazy. And not only is he going to fire an arrow in there, but he is going to light that arrow on fire. It's going to be a <laughs> flaming arrow. And Jake is like freaking out. He's just like, what are you doing, man? But. Um, he lets Finn do it and Finch, but then Finn shoots it in there and it just plinks off the TV, the glass TV screen and ricochets right back at Finn and Jake's head. And the Brandon man doesn't even notice cause he was bending over classic, uh, comedy bit, just bent over to pick something up. Did not notice the flaming arrow that flew quickly in and out of his own house. 
And this, this, they, they do that bit a couple more times, and each time the flaming arrow like ricochets off of various things and eventually out of frame, out of out of the scene, into the woods behind the house. And all this time, Finn and Jake are having a, a debate, basically, where Finn is basically saying like, "No, we can, we can alter your fate, Jake." And Jake is saying, "No, you can't. You can't do it. You, you, fate is fate, and I have to embrace it. It's time to do it." Like. The signs are there, and uh, it is—it's tearing Finn up inside. He says he says several times, like, "You gotta stop talking like that, man. Like, it's making me cry. It's making me upset. I—I I don't like it when you talk that way." And there's some real like—they do take a few emotional pauses, I think, and and I'll let that sink in as being real emotion. They're not joking with each other. It's it's Finn kind of pleading with Jake for real. And, uh, this is the thing t- we've always seen Finn be terrified of is losing Jake. Yeah, yeah. So it's he's faced with it happening any moment, and it is it's it's crushing him. But they do they they uh, they've run out of arrows because they only have the one, so they have to go find the one in the back <laughs> behind. They have to find it back behind the house, and when they go back there, uh, they're faced with uh, an escalation of the stakes because there is a rocket ship behind the house. Um, it's an old rocket ship. It's very much a homemade rocket ship with like dynamite sticks stuffed in the bottom of it uh, as its rocket as its uh, propellant. But it is definitely a rocket ship, and it's the rocket ship from, his, from, from Jake's dream, most assuredly. And so Jake thinks this is go time. Yeah, Jake's like, oh, well, now I know what I have to do. I need to light this, need to light this thing and we need to go to space and I need to meet my maker or whatever. And Finn absolutely loses his mind. He can't handle it. Like, uh, Jake lights the fuses on the, no, Jake doesn't light the fuse. Oh, that's right. The rocket ship. And then Finn somehow chases him down. And then while Jake is on the ground, Finn lights the fuse to try and get the rocket ship to take off without him. That's right. Jake, Finn's plan is, well, if I eliminate the rocket ship from the playing field, then whatever dream Jake had can't come true. So while Jake is outside of the rocket ship, yeah, that's right. He tries to light the fuse to just like send the rocket into the stratosphere and out of their lives. But after he lights the fuse, he looks up and Jake has made his way back onto the ship. And around the corner comes the banana man. Yep. He says, and the banana man freaks out because the banana man says like, it's not ready. Like it's, it's not ready to go yet, and I think there he says something like "boomsticks in the boomstick hole." Yeah, exactly. That is that is the uh, technical assessment that the banana man gives. But Jake is on board. Jake's like clinging to the side of this thing, and he says, "Get on board, banana man. It's time to go. It's time to go uh, to the land of Glob." We got to do this. We got to do this. And but then Finn, in an act of desperation, final moment, uh, just jumps and clings to Jake's leg. And and is like no, don't leave me. And they have another moment, and it gets very teary eyed. And Jake says, "You gotta let me go." And Jake and Finn just says, "Like I don't, I don't want to let you go." But then Jake kicks him away. Yeah, Jake Kick- has about three lines that are sort of like sentimental and thoughtful. But then he just looks back at the rocket ship and yells, "Destiny!" and kicks Finn down to the ground. Yeah. But he doesn't shoot into space. 
because there aren't enough boom boom sticks in the boom boom hole or whatever that was. Um, <laughs> the, the, the rocket does lift off just a tad, but then just sort of mostly it just tips over on its side. Um, <laughs> and crashes and lands on Jake and kind of knocks him for a loop basically. Um, and he's, he's very confused. He's like, why is, wait, all the he's very confused because like all in his mind all the pieces were in place but it didn't happen the way he thought it would he's not the dream didn't come true and and finn sort of has an epiphany too in that moment saying like he's talking to himself a bit and he says yeah like because in the dream finn wasn't there and finn finn realizes like oh yeah so maybe he sort of starts thinking that like along the lines of like well Maybe if I'm here, um, I can I can affect things, but doesn't have a lot of time to have that thought because very quickly the ground beneath the rocket gives way like a sinkhole. Yeah, big old and, sinkhole. And Jake and the rocket and the banana man fall into this open pit into like hundreds of feet down into blackness and. Finn dives after them because he's Finn. Uh, he says something. He dives in saying like, "Jake, I'm not leaving you." And they dive down, 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 and land. They splash land in a underground lake. It looks like uh, Gandalf and the Balrog falling into the center of Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah, very much that. Like they disappear into a black void, but it they fall, 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 and end up in a lake. And the lake is pitch black, and they cannot breathe in it and they're floating in blackness with debris and sort of pinpoints of light around them. And Jake opens his eyes and he realizes, Oh, this is it. This is it. It's happening. Yep. And so he, he even starts talking underwater, like using up his air and he's like talking to Finn, like this is it, man. And Finn starts talking back. Uh, and Finn says like, no, it can't be, and and then he just holds on to Jake and he says and Jake says what are you doing and, and Finn just goes I'm just going to be with you and Jake kind of says like oh thanks and sort of accepts that it's about to ha- like something's about to happen but then Jake looks up and he sees that Finn is running out of air and instinctually I think mm-hmm. he he carries he he quickly swims to the surface of this lake um, and there's a little bank that he can sort of pull him up onto and and do a quick cannonball onto his chest to pump the water out. You know, CPR. Right. And, and, and he's fine. Finn is okay. And But Jake's left sitting at the edge of this lake, and the banana man makes his way out eventually too. But Jake's again confused, and he says, man, I really thought that was it. Like, I thought that's that was the moment. And... And then Finn says, I think he kind of explains to Jake, you know, but you said I wasn't there, but I'm here. So how could have that have been the moment? And Jake goes, yeah, you're right. So I guess what that means is like, that's still a thing that's destined to happen in the future. Like there will be another time where this scenario happens in this same way, except that Finn won't be there. And he goes, that's when I'll die. That's when it'll happen. And Finn just says, okay, fine then. I guess then the solution that I need to have is that I'll just never leave your side. And... (laughs) And Jake's like, what? And and then Finn proceeds to be pretty pretty creepy about his his uh, 
his decision. He basically just presses his face up against the side of Jake and says, I'm never leaving your side. For and the rest then, of our lives. Yeah, and then Jake kind of runs around like, stop it. And Finn's just chasing after him like, I'm never leaving you, I'm never leaving you. And that's kind of how we end the scene is just a pull away of that, of Finn chasing Jake, menacing him or threatening him with just being next to him is basically right. the threat, <laughs> is the threat. But like a ton, of, so a uh, the storyline wraps up. But a ton of information is revealed or is, you know, is alluded to, I guess. Not, you know, nothing's like explained, but um, a lot of information about Ooh and its history and what is and isn't like, I don't know, just like what what pieces are out there that like are still are we still haven't really discovered yet or they could still be fleshed out for us. I think it was a very cool episode to just use that device of the dream and destiny and um, and learn a lot of details about the land that we're working in. Yeah, I really like the way that there's this expository dialogue from which we learn these things about Ooh, but A, it still advances the plot, like it's still very relevant to what the characters are talking about, and B, it still doesn't give you the whole picture. It just gives you hints, you know, it's not a Bond villain explaining every step of his diabolical plan. It, it it just sort of gives you these bits and pieces that then you can fit together with some of the bits and pieces you've gotten before, and ooh just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, I, I agree. That's totally it. It's um, I think my favorite little things that were dropped were, well, so I, it made me wonder like the the dream the opening dream sequence where you kind of see like oh well there's Earth and there's a spaceship and mm-hmm. and all this stuff like. It's a bigger scale than we've ever seen. Right. They've never been to space. They've been to the Cloud Kingdom, but they've never been to space. And that space in the sense that, like, what we understand space to be. Right. Um, and it really did put the, it put a, a finer point or, of, like, the reality that this is, that this is definitely Earth. And um, we haven't explored all the implications of that for sure. Yeah. So I think that was cool. I think that was very cool. I thought the way that they opened was really nice. And then um, I kind of liked the Banana Man's house, too. I just thought that yeah. that was a fun... I, I mean, I know it was just pretty much a goofy collab, uh, amalgam, uh, collection, is the word, uh, a goofy collection of stuff that you would recognize as technology, essentially. Um, right. I liked the idea. Like, I wonder what the Banana Man was doing. Like... What's he doing building that rocket ship? What was his yeah. what was his plan? You know? What now, was his plan? The banana man really only had one line, which is at the end of the whole calamity, he says, I was just coming to borrow some sugar. <laughs> but did right. you happen to uh notice who did his voice? No. Weird Al. Oh, funny. Nicely yep. done. Yeah. Uh, another uh, relic? Uh, no, no, not relic. He's he's still. <laughs> he's, uh, apologies to Sorry, Weird Al. Al. Uh, a but his popularity certainly had a, a heyday in the eighties and nineties. Uh, so I like that his house was populated with like uh, gear from the eighties and nineties. Yep. Um, but no, I did not notice that that was Weird Al. Um, but but yeah, I, I you know it makes you wonder like what was that guy's plan because he was. He was definitely building that ship. It wasn't just something he found. Like when he was walking around his house and found Jake and Finn there, he was carrying um, a circular glass plate 
and it was clearly meant to fit in a currently open window, uh, unsealed window on the on the rocket ship. So he was he was building this thing. Yeah, and he was, and, he was getting ready to go. Right. So no one had reinvented rocket ships yet, but this guy had. So what was that? What was that all about? And he had dynamite, which I don't think we've seen dynamite in the in the show before either, or maybe we yeah, have. Not that I, I mean, can remember. Like things have exploded, so I mean, whatever. And magic exists, so again, but um, just this little enclave of technology. I don't know what to call it. I, I keep calling it like semi-modern technology, but in this sense of this world, it's ancient technology, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, but he's rebuilding a rocket ship that way. I don't know. I just thought like those little tidbits were very cool, and that means that. You know, what else are they going to find? What other little scraps of old technology are they going to find that are going to have implications and and broaden understanding of the world? Um, yeah, it just makes you it just makes you want to learn more about and and just see more of the show in a, in a yep. sense that you just want to keep getting little pieces and putting together that puzzle. So, yeah, very, very moments, cool. One of those moments where the show makes you say, huh, there's a lot going on here. Yep, I agree. Um and we're kind of getting towards, I mean, not quite yet, but we're getting close to the end of uh, season three. So I'm excited to see how they kind of bring this season to a, a climax and a close. Yes, I am as well. And uh, next week, we'll actually be talking about a, we'll be having a very special holiday episode next week. Oh, um, good. Which I'm kind of excited about. So, uh, you know, a little, little late, didn't quite match up with our time frame, but uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So... I uh, I think we're about ready to put this one in the, to bed, Ben. I agree. Let's go to sleep. But before we do that, of course, we have to encourage folks to rate and like and review and all that sort of stuff on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google, wherever it is that you might be listening to us. Uh, go check us out on Spotify, actually. That seems like a pretty cool way to listen to podcasts, and it also uh, is a cool place to put your podcast because they give you a lot of data. So uh, be curious to see if, if folks are listening on Spotify. Anyway, uh, keep listening. Um, holler at us if you want. We are at Podventure Time. We've got a page called Podventure Time on Facebook. We've got a group called the Treehouse Treasure Room where you can come have a conversation with us. And uh, thank you to Will Yates for giving us our intro and outro music. That's a song called Date Night off of his EP, I Know the Feeling. You can head over to willyates.bandcamp.com and pay what you want for that EP and another newer EP. So please do that. We want Will to keep making music. Yep, thank you to Will, and thank you to everyone who reaches out. Yeah, we're very excited to hear from you, and we're very excited to come back next week with our Christmas sweaters on. So until then, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Fools, fools, you're wasting your time.